that you never know what somebody's going through. So why not make the day with the things we've just talked about? And remember one last thing is empowered people, empower people. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. All right, well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. And um, buckle up because I believe this will be a uh, tremendous conversation, a tremendous, well, I know it will be. And I know that we will all enjoy the conversation that I'm about to have with Dr. Rob Kelly, the addiction doctor, who, as I said before, we found each other. We have a similar mission of helping others that are in this field of, not a field, but a, a place of struggle who have lost their way and perhaps what we have to share could help them, you know, just have a better tomorrow than today. And so again, I'm excited to have you here today, um, Dr. Rob. Love your accent, love your energy so far, love your smile. I know people can't see that just yet until we put this on some other uh, place. But um, at this point, again, thank you and welcome, welcome to my podcast today. Thank you so much indeed. Absolutely honored to be here. Thank you for having me. We're going to have some fun. We are going to have some fun. Yeah. So let's talk about that um, accent, where you came from, kind of what you're, we always start with a story. And mm. as I always say, share what you feel is, you know, most appropriate. We don't have to share all the down and, and dirty, but, you know, share what you feel is best. And um, as that takes us into this place of how you got to where you're at today, and then mm. we'll talk about what you're doing today so as you can gather just in case those guys are thinking he's from east texas no i'm not i'm from england manchester and england is where i was born in actual fact if you want to pinpoint the manchester it was moss side which is a bit like beirut with lights it was very rough it was very low income families uh, but that's where i grew up always wanted to know i wanted better than than the council estate projects where i lived i was embarrassed where i lived just wanted to perfect uh, my my life, even at an early age, I was a musician at the age of nine, on stage with my musical family, auntie and uncle playing clubs at the age of nine and pubs and bars. And I was the richest kid in our school. I'm telling you, because I'd get paid for it. So I remember I remember playing, and I remember loading up all the gear like we do. Any musicians out there, you'll identify with this. We put two thousand dollars worth of equipment in a $400 car to get paid $20 after a 20 mile drive, you know, that kind of thing on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, lunch, Sunday night. But we earned, we earned good money and pay later on mortgage and stuff like that. I've always played in bands, but I remember somebody saying, Hey, the, the, the local recording studio, which was actually strawberry studios, which was owned by 10 CC though. I didn't know that on the audition. Uh, and I'd go down there when I got the job and I'd sit in this room uh, with a with a score in front of me, a piece of music in front of me, and I would play it first time, and it would take about three minutes, and then they'd bring another one, and I'd do that in three minutes, and then they'd bring a third one, do it in three minutes, and they gave me something like a hundred pound, 
And I'm like, well, that's a month's worth of gigging for a start. Secondly, no gas, no putting in big, heavy bass. Oh, my goodness. So that's <laughs> what opened my eyes up to, hey, this is how we start to make a good living. And I was also very cheeky, very shy. But when I, when I, when I hone in, this is an alcoholic trait, guys. When I hone in on something, I'm an all or nothing guy. I'm either all in and I'm master it or I'm not playing. I've never played basketball. I, and I never will because I'm not going to be rubbish at it. So I would play it. So anyway, finally got a job at Abbey Road Studios and uh, playing with Elton John, Bowie, Queen, all them great guys of the time, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, we just had a ball. But unfortunately, that's where my addiction took a uh, took a rocket off, you know, and it got out of control. I think, and I don't know yet, I'm the only musician that's been fired uh, from the music industry for being drunk and wasted. What's all that about? Not many people can do that, but there I was, you know. So they got rid of me after a, a year or so. But it did put me through college, and I got in college the back door because of a Freemason. It, you know, I went to Oxford. So I born in Manchester, went down to Oxford to get educated, stayed in London for a few more years, back to Manchester for 10 or 20 years, and then over here 15 years ago. And I came for two weeks only to do a – a session of talks to a church in Plano in Texas near Dallas. And uh, I never went back home again. That was 15 years ago. Mm. And my career just exploded over here. Absolutely mind-blowingly exploded. And uh, very grateful for that. We do. We, we take our work seriously. We say that we love what we do because we do what we love. But uh, I always promise, because in, in well, later on, uh, after all that happened, I, I became homeless when I was 27. So I lost two children, wife, cars, kids, houses, you know, medical license, everything went. And I was on the streets for about 14 months. And uh, yeah, so I kind of paid a price to get here. But again, I'm either going to be the best addiction doctor in the world or I'm not going to do it. So our, our research goes deeper than anybody else and our, our tests and, and everything go deeper than anybody else because I want to be I want to be the guy that saved me on the streets. I want to be the guy that helps families because we don't call ourselves an addiction company. We call ourselves a family uh, reunited company or reconstruction company where we put families back together again because if you look at alcoholics and you look at drug addicts, alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism. Same with drug addicts. That's not the problem. The problem is my thinking, not drinking. So... I, uh, I said, when I get off the streets, I'm going to spend the rest of my life uh, helping other people to the day I die. And uh, mm -hmm. that seemed like yesterday. I always tell people, I went to bed last night, I was 19, and I woke up this morning, I'm 61. That's how fast life goes. Mm -hmm. So we have really have to enjoy every single day. Right. Yeah. And when you mentioned um, Elton John and like he got fired for being drunk, I mean, if you've seen his movie, right? I mean, <clears throat> I mean, obviously you played with him, you saw his life. Obviously, he was filled with all kinds of drinking and drugs and his surprise, at least from what I saw the, I mean, I grew up, we're the same age. I mean, I grew up with his music. I grew up with all of that music. You know, it's amazing that a lot of these Aerosmith, you know, Steven mm. Tyler, I mean, it's amazing that they're still around and alive. Mick Jagger and all of that with all the drinking and the drugs that they, they did. And it was kind of, um, you know, normalized and it's just what they did. It's, much most often what people still musicians still do today so um and i also want to 
make note of the fact that you said like with alcohol, it's whatever you said, 1% is due to the alcohol or drugs. Same thing with eating disorders. That's what I've learned in this podcast over two years of interviewing so many people. It's not about the drugs. It's not about the drinking. It's not about the lack of eating, the purging, the this. It's uh, like, what are you what are you numbing yourself out to? What do you, what do you not want to see? What do you not want to face? And so that you go to these other things to, again, to numb yourself out, to separate yourself out from the reality. And yes, it's a family disorder. I mean, we saw that on our own. I kept saying that, that it was just, it wasn't just my daughter's problem. And my son who was struggling with trying to find his way in life, it's not just his problem. Like we got a family disorder here that is caught, you know, and these are the these are the symptoms that the kids are picking up or the wife is picking up or the husband or whatever. It's a whole family. And again, when one struggles, the whole family struggles. Well, we did, we did statistics on this again. And there's something that'll surprise everybody. With the alcoholic or addict, when we include the family, the success rate of him recovering goes up by 42%. Mm. That's a lot. So that's why we can claim a 97% success rate when our competitors are at 3 and 4%, 5% are the most. It's like the, you're missing something out here, guys, and that is don't concentrate on the alcohol or drugs or the food or sex or porn. Don't, don't forget that. It's not the problem. And please, you have to uh, include the family because it's a family illness, but it's also a family recovery. You know, everybody can recover. The, the worst thing an alcoholic addicts, you know, uh, whoever's suffering from any kind of mental illness regarding addiction is I'm only hurting myself. That's not true. You are hurting. I, I don't know about people out there, but I can tell you categorically in my life, I infected everybody I came into contact with with my alcoholism. People lied for me, cheated for me, stole for me. You know, I I, I just included them in my life and I, and I rampaged through my life until everything was gone and people had to walk away from me. It, it, and then we got abandonment, you know, most people that suffer this, whether it would be anorexia or anything else to do with the mind, the abandonment is rife. I mean, when I was on the streets, nobody would talk to me. Nobody would accept my phone calls. So we came up with this statement that trauma is the gateway drug. And that's all there is to it. And when it comes to trauma, anything less than nurturing as a child is child abuse. And that's mm -hmm. where it all comes from. There's no such thing as little T's and big T's in my industry. I was just going to say that, oh, <laughs> but because yeah. we talk Cute. about that little T and the big T's, but it's all, it's all some type of trauma, be it that, you know, physical abuse, mental abuse, you know, I mean, everybody's 100%. got it. And that's what people don't understand is that I never had any trauma, you know, but the relationships keep failing and failing and failing and failing. And they can't seem to get a guy. And we go into the background and find out that they lived in that $5 million house that she said she lived in. She got a Ferrari when she was 16, but she never saw dad because dad was abroad six days of the week working. So there's the abandonment. That's why you can't hold a relationship with a guy. and Or, or dad's drinking all day and, and sometimes mom and dad fight. So people come to me, especially girls, and go, why am I attracting that guy that ends up being alcoholic and we end up fist fighting? I go, what's your parents, grandparents, uncles like? They go... Oh, it's all learned behavior. Enmeshment is the key to the youngster and learned behavior will continue until you do something about it. And trauma, you'll either sort trauma out or it will sort you out. And mm -hmm. I mean, death, I mean, horrible things that trauma will get that people just can't put together. You know, they go, mm -hmm. oh, well, surely this has got nothing to do with this. I have, Moira, I have 97 pairs of sneakers and shoes. 97 pairs. Now, I, I just... Thought that was okay. I thought there's nothing wrong with it. 
Uh, until I worked with a therapist about six years ago when I was going through some PTSD myself, and I told her a story out of the blue, didn't you? I just thought, oh, yeah, I used to watch school with uh, holes in my socks and shoes. So the night before, my mom, and I thought she was doing me a favor, she'd cut round cardboard, and she'd put the cardboard in my shoe. So when I was walking to uh, school in the snow, I wouldn't feel the cold. But the problem is, when I before I got there, it was soggy, it was wet, it got through. I had to walk on with holes in my socks and shoes on the bare snow. And she said to me, what did your mom and dad do every Friday and Saturday for enjoyment? And I said, oh, they went to the bar every Friday and Saturday and Sunday afternoon yet they couldn't afford shoes. We could only have two pairs of shoes a year. And this is what she said to me. When your mom and dad went to the bar, did they have holes in their socks and shoes? Well, it just, I was hysterical with, with trauma and hurt. And, you know, it's the realization that there's, there's no handbook with children and nobody is to blame here, but everybody has trauma. And 95% of the time, you stuff it down and you don't want to talk about it. And that subconscious brain holds the key to everything we see, hear, touch, feel, smell. Everything mm -hmm. we do that in our life is stored in our subconscious brain. And it takes mm -hmm. uh, a memory recall for that image to come, which will connect to the neglect as a child or left with a babysitter, used to burn you with a cigarette, you know, whatever it may be. And, and you go, oh, my God, this is why I'm acting that way. That's how intense trauma is. Mm -hmm. It's true. And um, I agree with you. And again, when we are numbing things out, again, we're not we're not letting that come out. We're not giving ourselves a chance to think about that. I mean, people have heard this on the podcast um, already that, you know, our daughter's last treatment stay was at a, a location that had a truly the best therapist that she's ever had who invited us into family therapy and not just one time, which many people had did, Oh, let's do family therapy. And then, okay, we do one session. And then before you yeah. know it, she's being discharged or whatever. She actually got to know my husband and I a little bit, few sessions. Then she brought her daughter in and then they offer ketamine treatment. Yes. And um, it was, I believe those two things were instrumental in the fact that she's been home for six months and her mindset is completely different. She has a will to live, even though, days or struggles and yeah. things like that. But I say that because that ketamine, at least the way that she described it to us, is that it opened up the floodgates. It opened up that chance for her to talk about all those yeah. feelings that for years she had stuffed down and they were emotional sessions and all of that, but she got a chance to talk about it and process mm -hmm. through with a wonderful therapist. And then we could talk about it as a family or as, as parents with her, that type of thing. So what you're saying is, is tremendous. It's true. That's what we need to do is open up and talk about all of that stuff that happened to us we, we won't we won't work with the, with the with the patient if the family's not on board and, and so when the patient comes on board let's say it's a man and he has two 18 year old daughters and a wife if all of them don't come on board twice a week because we, it's a seven day week program for three months so the, the 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 patient is every day for an hour uh while we do work in him and then my psychotherapist will work with the wife two days a week to sort her stuff out. And then my daughter, which we'll get into later, my daughter came in back into my life uh, two, three years ago after almost 30 years. Uh, my youngest one I've never seen since the tragic day that they took him off me. But she works with the, with the 18-year-olds and, and above, whoever's in the house. And that's why uh, the success rate, because what they what the uh, wife tends to do is they sit down with a psychotherapist and go, okay, let me tell you about Johnny. Let me tell you what he's up to when we go, hang on a second, this isn't about him. This is about you and your trauma 
well, I haven't got any trauma. Well, explain this. Why are you still in a house with a man that beat your children last week because he was drunk? Why are you, why? And all of a sudden they realized that everyone in that house um, is suffering from trauma. So then, Moya, we took it one step further and we did some tests with people coming home from Afghanistan. God bless our soldiers, by the way, become American citizen a year ago. God bless you. Thank you for everything you do. But we did these tests and we did tests with a wife living in an alcoholic house. The PTSD for both was very, very similar. And in layman's terms, we put it like this. There's no difference between the soldier coming back from war and a wife in the house. Both don't know when it's going to end. This is the last day. Both are walking around on eggshells. You know, it's the same thing. So if you miss the trauma in the wife, for instance, then she's not going to get well. And she's going to drag the husband back when he comes home because that's what we used to do. Send him away for 30, 60, 90 days. When he comes back, everything's good. You know, if you have two houses, let's say treatment and the house where uh, the addict is in the family, it's like the family house speaks Japanese, for instance. So this is what we used to do. Pick him out, bring him to our place, teach him recovery at some language, teach him English. So now he has a, he can speak English. Then after 90 days, we check him out, put him back in, in a house that speaks Japanese only. What's going to happen? It's going to start speaking Japanese. It's the same with the disease, the illness. It's that you have to educate both parties to make sure that when they come together, everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's so, so true. So, so true. You could just keep talking. <laughs> it's so good. Um, no, but I, again, I love that. Again, there isn't enough talk about the family. Um, I, you know, I just think of uh, somebody that I know whose husband moved out recently, last couple months. And every time we talk to them, it's like, oh, him, him, him and his thing. It's like, okay, you got, what about you? And I just think it's lack of, lack of knowledge more. I don't think that, you know, the, the treatment center as a whole that's been going 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, it's not changed. It's broken. It's been broken for many years. And uh, there's been no one brave enough to stand up and go, first of all, screw all you treatment centers. This is how we do it. And you're wrong mm-hmm. and we're right. Nobody has the, the guts or balls to stand up and do that. But we did. You know, we, we have a great relationship with treat, treatment centers. They hate us and we hate them. And, and we're all we're both good with that, you know. And 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 again, God bless you for doing this. Um, and again, we've been seven years in this struggle uh, mm. with our daughter, and we've she's been in numerous treatment centers. And you get to the point, I know, as a mother and a parent, like you get to the point that you're so worried about your child that they and they're suicidal. I mean, a, yeah. a mal a malnourished brain cannot you know, think straight and doesn't want to live. And so you're so afraid and you have, you need some type of help. And so you find the treatment center and you, you know, put your child into the treatment center or you send your husband to rehab or that kind of thing. I mean, I just know the eating disorder world, but I do know with my daughter now that she's home and in a different mindset, and we've had some wonderful conversations and she's talked about even the trauma that's Mm. occurred in those facilities where Mm. she was, I let her talk about her story, but there's a few things that, you know, she's okay with me sharing if she shared them with me, but the idea that she has, she has OCD. And so part of her stress relief, if you will, and her coping is to walk and move and things like that. Well, places don't know how to control that. No, unless you give them a medication and then she sleeps all day and then that doesn't help anybody either. So, you know, they would restrain her in her room. 
And she talks about this one particular place and she goes, I was just, and so now that she's home, she goes, sometimes I don't want to be in my room because it flashes me back yeah. to that time yeah. that I was there and I couldn't get mm -hmm. out of my room. And then I get into these, this headspace. And so mm -hmm. I want to be down here. And then we're like, well, yeah, but you need to get out of the kitchen. You're like in the kitchen too much. So it's this vicious cycle, yeah. but it's that even these places that we trust and that are well-renowned mm -hmm. and have locations all over the U.S., yeah. they still are not perfect because it's almost like when I was talking with somebody the other day, because I do a wellness business and we were talking about helping her with her wellness and building her health. It's like, there isn't one answer for everybody because we're not all alike. You know, I need to talk to you about this and this is specific to you. And so here's a wide variety of choices. What do you choose? But everybody's different. And so one treatment center, one way of doing things is not going to help everybody. But it's just exactly. this, you know. Well, we we don't know anything else. We, I mean, people out there don't know who the peers are, don't know what's good and bad. Now, we want to. I want to put a disclaimer in there. There are millions of treatment centers around the world that are absolutely awesome. Mm -hmm. We send people to most of ours is telehealth now. Ninety five percent of our work is telehealth only. But we send them. But you know, we're the only company in the world that offer you a money money back guarantee if you relapse. Mm. No, nope. everyone goes. That's impossible. No, it's not. Not if you know what you're doing. So treatment centers, you know, why are you taking a little Johnny in for this fifth time at your place, charging him $30,000 a month? Why? Shame on you. But there are some amazing ones out there. Just do your homework. If you're listening to this, that's all because not everybody in this industry is doing it for the right reason. Can you imagine running a business without any repeat clients? Mm. You go broke within three years. That, you know, and I'm not going to get into that, but you know what I mean by that. It's like we stood up and said, enough already, enough, you know, we'll guarantee you can recover. We'll guarantee from day one or two that the drink problem be taken away. It's not the drink problem. It's the head that's, that's bothering you. And we took this whole new look on the diseases. And the only difference between alcohol and drugs, porn, cake, food, whatever it is, is alcoholics are born this way and drug addicts are made. Now, freak people out. Well, that's the case. Alcoholism is, is in the addiction world is different to any other addiction because it's a predisposition. We're, we're allergic to the uh, ethanol in alcohol. We have that allergic reaction and the biochemical reaction in the, in the brain. Uh, that doesn't produce the hypothalamus and the basal ganglia at default, which means that we will self-sabotage over a period of time. Now, the other guys have an addictive personality, which both present the same when they come to anybody for help. They both present. It's about finding out which one you are. Mm. So one's made. You can trace it back. So if, if you're like, sat at home going, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic or not, because alcoholism is the only self-diagnosed illness in the world. 10 DUIs do not make you an alcoholic. Don't believe what your doctor says. Medical fraternity are baffled with alcoholism. Don't even go there with that. But trace it back in your family. If you've got granddad, uncle, mother, you know, grandmother that, that like to drink, I love the way they say that in the old times, then you're probably an alcoholic. But if there's nothing in your family tree, you need to, you know, go somewhere and decide and uh, whether you're a heavy drinker or the real alcoholic, because the real alcoholic, man, it's nothing to do with alcohol. Mm. That's fascinating. That's interesting. I've never heard that explanation of it, except that I do believe there are some that have addictive personalities that choose things to be focused on. And I've seen and talked to true alcoholics who just can't not, you know, they can't take another drink in their life. 
No, I mean, that, that's the way. I, what, let me tell you about the hypothalamus, which is a part of the fight or flight part of the brain. So we never have to teach children to eat food or drink water. Baby's got a hand in its mouth or it cries because it knows it needs. It's a natural occurrence in the brain. We need food. We need water to survive. The hypothalamus also linked to the amygdala, which is also our fight or flight part of the brain. So what happens with alcoholics is the hypothalamus is slightly damaged. And this is what happens over a period of time, because we're born this way. You'll take alcohol, you continue to drink, you'll, you'll, you'll go be a you know, casual drinker, then start abusing it. And then you cross over the line to alcoholically drinking. Once we do that and we don't know where that fine line is, the hypothalamus tells the alcoholic to drink alcohol to survive. That's why alcoholics can go days or weeks, even months without drinking water or eating food. That's what I was like, because the brain is telling me to drink. Then we flip over to the basal ganglia, which is our repetition, strength, and confirms part of the brain. Mine was at default. Everything's amazing. The kids are happy. Got the wife back. Got my job back. Got the car at the garage. Everything's great. Bang! And for no reason whatsoever, I relapsed. And I'd come back and go, well, this is why I relapsed. No, that's an excuse. Give me a reason. Well, I, that's an excuse. Give me a reason. And the fact of the matter is, there's not one reason why I did, because my brain told me to do it, and I just did it. It's like being tapped on the knee with a doctor and your knee-jerk <laughs> reaction. That was me. So when people come up to me and go, well, you can just stop for your kid. I stabbed my wife three times one night because she wouldn't let me finish my bottle of vodka that I was drinking. Normal people don't do that. I left my kids age one and three in cinemas. I drove in blind drunk in the car. I left them at stores because I forgot I had the kids with me. I was like, normal people don't do that. So, you know, I, I wanted a better understanding of this is not a choice, guys. The alcoholism is not a choice. We don't choose to do this. And once we recover, because I'm a recovered alcoholic, never cured, but I have that daily reprieve, is that we that does help. You can fully recover from this BS that you're going through, period, end of story, and you can have your life back. Now, the coolest thing is with the alcoholic brain that doesn't drink, they're the guys running Google and Apple. You know, we are geniuses. So if you never touch alcohol, you're going to succeed in life crazy, whatever success looks like for you. And if you stop alcohol and get help, you you can have that car, that house, that wife, that business. You can become a millionaire, no problems. You can be anything you want to in the world. And people more used to go, hey, listen, I can't be president of the United States. That's what they always used to say to me. Today I go, I beg to differ. Despite your political views, we had a business around the country. Don't you dare tell me you can't do anything you want. You know, you want a better life? Go and get it. And people get freaked out when I say this. Listen, if you're sat at home with your husband and you're just miserable and you're in this marriage, and get another husband. You don't like your job? Get another job. It's like, oh, it's not that easy, Dr. Rob. It really is. Because what's going to happen in 60, 70 years time when all the kids have gone and you've retired and you sat with each other and you can't scrape a conversation and you want to just get a gun and blow your flipping head off because the, the relationship is that horrible. You've got to do it today, you know? And, and, the, and the thing is about today is we never know it's today. So I got a friend of mine about 10 years ago and he's rooting, we're rooting through the house at home and go, hey, Rob, Rob, quick, quick, look at this photograph of me and you. I was like, oh my God. Because it was into bodybuilding. It's like, look how thin we were. Oh, my. Oh, God, look how good looking we were. My God, it was <laughs> awesome. And he said to me, hey, Rob, those were the days, weren't they? And I said, wow. Yeah, they were, but we didn't know those were the days then. We didn't really know that, did we? And he went, no, we didn't. 
And I said, kind of blue, I said, what if today's one of those days? And that's how I live my life today. It's like, what if today is one of those days? Mm. And we just brisk through, we get on with stuff, we do the kids, the house, da, da, da. it's like every single second I'm trying to help somebody. Every single time I leave the house, I bless somebody. God has taken care of us financially. We take care of other people. I bless them on monetary every time. I bless them all with a chat, with a compliment. It's like, this is the way that life's supposed to be led. Why would I tear you down in 10 words when I can lift you up in five? Mm. And that's the way to live life, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and you said, you know, what is it you said about being born with a million dollar brain and not be hanging out with the 10 set? people or something like that. Yeah, we're born with million dollar minds. Everyone's born with million dollar minds, okay? And uh, we, we hang around 10 cent minds. And I have a video that shows us that. I have a video inside the brain that shows a neural pathway. There's a neural pathway here. This one's trying to connect. And all of a sudden, bang, it connects. So after our research, and I'll send you the video, them neural pathways for success, for health, for wealth are already made. They're already inside their head. What I do as a, as a, as a professional is I join them. Once them neural pathways are connected, you cannot unconnect them. And that's how you take million-dollar minds to 10-cent minds back to billion-dollar minds. Because you remember, I don't know about you, Maury, when I was a kid, I play in the streets so my mom and dad could see where I was. But we've shouted to other friends, Johnny, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. What about you, Rob? I want to be a professional footballer. And yet we never do it. Why? Because our family and friends kick it out of us. The worst line my mom said to me ever in the history of ever was, don't miss a stupid. You can't go to college like your brother. You're not clever enough. That's what I got told. So mm-hmm. I live my life like that. Right. And I, wouldn't, I never thought I would amount to anything. Well, my grandmother, God rest her soul, I remember her saying a few times, you know, I have two older sisters and younger brother. I always felt like I didn't measure up to Mm. them. And I remember my grandmother saying a few times, oh, Moira, she always has a little trouble with things. What does that mean? You know, you hear that often enough, or you hear it a couple of times, you hear it once, and then you just live a life that, well, either, so this is what I've learned in some of my healing and my own stuff, is that perhaps I heard that and it went into my brain, but you know what? I took it to like, I figure things out. I'm just going to go and figure it out because maybe I have trouble with things, but guess what? I'm going to go figure it out. And sometimes, you know, I'm going ahead and I'm supposed to ask questions or do something, whatever, but I'm just going to go figure it out because maybe my grandmother saying that to me, maybe just move forward and say, I'm just going to figure it out Yeah, because she told me I had trouble, but I'm going to show, not that I'm going to show her, but I'm just going to figure things out. And the fact of the matter is I am different than my siblings Yes, and it's okay. There are these analytical columns and rows people that I always joke about. Well, you're the columns and rows. I'm the relationship person. I'm the, let's talk about, like, let's go deep, right? Let's go deep and talk about this stuff. Let's go for a long walk. Let's talk about all this stuff. Let's talk about, I mean, I'm a nurse, so let's, Fine, I'll watch some <laughs> medical shows. Let's, I mean, like, come on, that's who I am. But I grew up believing that I, that because I was different, that there was something wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it took me many years to realize that I am different, but that's okay. Cause this is who I am. I'm an Enneagram four, I'm a nurse, I'm a compassion, I'm an ultimate romantic. Like, I mean, it's just 
and I want to be unique and I want to be seen as authentic. Yes. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so that's okay. Yes. But I think we live, I mean, there's so much we can talk about, but like we live in this world of like, again, we listen to our parents or we listen to our siblings or we listen to somebody that we think is our mentor or somebody at church or yeah. on the TV. And um, then we create that story for ourselves based on that. Or we compare ourselves and, oh, I can't be that or I can't be thin. I can't be rich. I can't be this. Yeah. You know, I can't live a happy life. And so then that's just the life that we create. Yeah. And, it, and it's a huge lie, you know, but we don't know it is. And that that's the worst thing in the world is we don't know. We, me and my wife got married like seven years ago. And the second day we were married, we said something or I did and she started to argue with me. And I went, I don't, this arguing, I don't like it. It's just, you know, this is, I don't want this marriage. And she said, that's the way marriage is supposed to be. And I, again, flip back going, says who? Who's making these rules? I don't like these rules, you know? So we made a marriage that we laugh and dance in the bathroom and throw, I'm surprised she hasn't thrown something at me already from the other <laughs> office, you know, just fun stuff that we're laughing every single day. It's like, Nobody can tell you how to run your life. Everybody has a niche in life. Find out what your niche is and go and do it and go and be happy. Go be happy, joyous and free. Go and do it because people will stop you from doing that because they can't do it. I mean, literally, quantum physics tells us that you can literally do anything you want. If you can visualize it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand. And whether that's a supreme being, God, universe, quantum, whatever it is, I've proved it. I've worked with over seven and a half thousand people over 30 years. And I'd say about 90% of people I've worked with have gone on to be huge successes, you know, in their lives. Some of the biggest movie stars, greatest football players, TV, because it's it's open to you because the neural pathways for success doing that have already been made. But what happens is we're born, most of us are born with more self-sabotaging than good neural pathways. So we'll self-sabotage. Oh, I can't do that. Oh my God, I put mine to that. Your mind sits inside your brain. Two entities. People are going, what? Two entities, okay? Once you make your mind up to do... God, have you seen the size of that arm? Once you <laughs> get that mind up to do something, then it's released into the brain, and then the brain starts to use neural pathways and the central nervous, and then we make it happen. But the mind must make up its mind soon God, blind, that's huge. <laughs> Must make up the mind soon to make it happen. And, mm. and our minds are, are trained and, and, and a predisposition and a learned behavior and the enmeshment from kids saying that we can't do that. And that's where everything comes from. It's not true. It really mm -hmm. isn't. Mm -hmm. So what do you so what do you do every day when you get up? Do you have a I get up in the morning and uh I say a quick prayer because I have like a God like a spiritual journey I'm on. And then I stand in front of the mirror, the bathroom mirror, before I do anything, and I look at myself in the mirror and I say, I love you 10 times. So that might be, oh, that's a bit weird. What I'm doing is I'm storing my subconscious brain of I love you. So later, and you won't feel anything, you won't do anything, it'll seem stupid, but later on when someone asks you a question, you put in a position, you go for that job, that house, when you're all nervous and you start doubting, the brain goes, no, I love you. Let's do it. We can do it. So I make sure I do that every day. One of the most important things for the human being is oxygen. Let me tell you about oxygen. We only breathe in 20% of our lung capacity. Okay, guys, here's another aha moment. Sit down and listen to this. <laughs> when oxygen 
is fully present in the body, no disease, no illnesses, no ailments can grow any further than it already has. No of them illnesses can survive when oxygen is present. But most of us live in a hypoxic state. We're in hypoxia most of the time. So if you want to add five or 10 years to your life, start doing that oxygen every day, 10 times every morning before you start, just breathing in and breathing out. Make sure we get all the oxygen around our brain. If thinking to be clear, but you know, if you have a cancer gene and it's 10% grown and it needs to be 50, it won't grow to 50 while the oxygen is present. So you are literally adding 10, 20, 30 years to your life on. And that's the latest scientific research. Uh, and I have to give my friend Gary Brecker, who's a microbiologist, a micro hacker. I have to give him kudos for that because that's who, who found out about this. And he works with the Kardashians and all of the guys that can afford it. But it's the truth. So I do my oxygen work. And then I get up. I have three English bulldogs. I take them to the backyard and we just have a little play. Then I'm ready for the day. I never have a bad day. However, I do have better days than others. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, when I was homeless, a bench was my dining room. The little bench outside in the middle of a yard was my restroom. It was my, you know, bedroom. I, I live quite comfortably today. How the, how the hell can I get up and go, oh, today's going to be a bad day? Because your mind will let your brain know what's going on. So if you tell yourself every morning, today's going to be an amazing day. In fact, listen, guys, I'll do an experiment. Those guys that are listening want to try this. Get up in the morning, look yourself in the mirror and go, today is going to be an amazing day. Scream at yourself. If you have a bad day, find me on Facebook, send me an email. I'll, I'll give you $50 for it not working because it's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's impossible not to work because you fire the neural pathways into success and you get all the, there's four chemicals we need every single day to be happy, joyous and free. Four chemicals. So we've got the endorphins, move for 20 minutes a day. Don't care what you do, dog walk, walk, go to the gym. The endorphins start flowing. Then you got the dopamine, which is the reward system, which is the, also pleasure. Thank you, Moira. You go, oh, thank you so much indeed. We've both just got dopamine. Take it down. The oxy oxytocin is also, oxytocin, sorry, is also one we need. And that's the bonding and cuddling hormone. You know, whether it be children or be adults, you know, we're meant to be together. And most of all is the serotonin, which is the social belonging. So what happens to a normal human being is they go, oh, I feel really low. I feel depressed. And everyone goes, oh, you need to go to the doctor. And if you get someone clever, they go, oh, yeah, you, you, you're short on serotonin. Levels must be low. So you go to the doctor. What does he do? He gives you the latest form of an SSR, which is a slow-release serotonin. And on you go. And a few days, weeks later, you feel back to normal again. Hang on, guys. Let me ask a question. Why is the serotonin low in the first place? We don't need extra stuff to make us happy. Why we're not? And we'll find out that most people that have been isolating a death of a wife or husband or child. You don't mix anymore. And if that social belonging drops and the serotonin drops, that will make you chronically depressed. Well, and look at what we've dealt with for the last two and a half years, right? We've been forced to social isolate and, you know, it's, yeah. There's a psychological reaction from the isolation and the covering of the face. There's such an, a, an out, the, oh God, there's such a huge epidemic coming from that that we've not even seen that yet. Right. Alcohol sales went up by 42%. Divorce went up by something like 60 something percent. 
It's just we haven't seen the backlog of that. But yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to isolate. When we did tests on death row, we have a famous prison in Texas. We did some 95% of people that finally got to the chair or the needle was insane. And the only reason they were insane is because they've been kept in solitary confinement for at least 10, 15 years. Kind of a big deal around here. Well, it is. I mean, and like, I like to simplify things. So I'm just going to simply say, like, if you want to have a great life and if you want to feel better, like get out of your house, go for a walk in the in the in the park across the street, say hello to somebody. I mean, one of my energy friends who runs an energy circle that I'm in, if you will, she talked about like, I forget what she called it, but basically like just be in what a law. I don't know. She just said, just spread the love for the next 72 hours. Like go to the coffee shop and say, thank you. Or like maybe write a little love note and like leave it or, and put your, and I haven't started it yet. I got to start it. I said, okay, I'll do it. You know, and you put the, the post-it notes in your car and you put it in your, you know, in the planner for your husband and you give your daughter a hug and like all of that stuff. Like, yeah, again, you can go to the doctor, you can go to the therapist, whatever, but just get out of your house, go stand around and, we were just in Montana, you know, when we first tried to connect and um, we're driving through the beautiful mountains of Montana that look mm-hmm. unreal. Like it doesn't look real. And like, if you just need an uplift, like go to a place like that and yeah. go, wow, like, thank God. Thank you universe for creating this. Cause this is beauty. And this is where we can be happy. You know, I mean, those are just the simple terms of and and most people, you know, I have 5,000 friends on Facebook and my answer is always the same. You just plugged into the wall. Sometimes they have the nature programs on the TV. Most people, if they weren't, if they didn't watch nature programs, they won't get any fresh air at all. That's what it's come down to is everything's TV, 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 game, 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 iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. Nobody knows how to react anymore. There's no social skills, which we're going to, you know, a couple of years time, watch how that explodes. And it's just getting worse and worse when you can drop everything and go, Go for coffee in the local store. Say something. Hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. Nice sneakers. And if you don't think this works, guys, if you think, well, that's baloney, me saying something to anybody can't. Next time you're in an area where there's lots of people, find somebody coming towards you and just say to him or her, hey, nice sneakers. And he'll go, oh, thank you. And then as you both walk past each other, turn around. You watch him look down at his sneakers at least two times. You just made that guy's day. From what? Five words? Mm -hmm. That's how powerful words are. They're so powerful. We had a, we mm-hmm. had a, two Mr. Smiths working, coming to us as a patient, and one came to me and he went, and the, the, the secretary came in and said, John Smith's father's just died. They can't get hold of him. So I called him because he just left me. I told him his, his dad, he was shaking, he was sobbing, he would wet himself, he couldn't drive, he was on the side of the road. He was in a mess. Then my assistant burst through and said, oh, my God, we've got the wrong Mr. Smith. It's Peter Smith, whose father's died. So I called John back and I explained to him and he pulled himself together and drove home. They got me thinking, me over a telephone with a few words just destroyed that man's life. They didn't know it was true or not. But what I said had the control of all of his body, central nervous system and brain with a few words. So we can do that with bad news. What the hell can we do with good news? Right. Amen to that. Yeah. So tell me how your um how your daughter found her way back to your life. You said we could talk about that. Yeah. When I was uh, when I was in my disease, um, my wife left, uh, and I got my daughter's back next day. And uh, because I went to court, my attorney went to court. Got my next day, put me in front of the TV, 
went in the kitchen and thought it'd be great if I just had one beer. Uh, three days later, when the children had been fed or changed diapers for three days, nearly died. Um, the police took them off me and the authorities. The last thing my daughter said to me, she got to the date, was, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And then she, they took them off. I've not seen her for years and years. I come over to America. And about two years ago, it's about three o'clock in the morning, me and my wife are in bed, and I hear, ding. Oh, my God, who's in trouble? So I get older, and I looked at it, blurry-eyed. And I said to Janet, 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 that, is, that, is that Charlie? The Charlotte name, we call it Charlie. Is that Charlie? Is that Charlie? I said, Yes. So we looked, he said, Dad, I've seen you on TV over here. I don't believe what they all said about you. I want to see you. I've got a surprise for you. So we're like, before I finished reading that, my wife was on the phone to British Airways booking two tickets over there. So we went over, so nervous. Oh, my, I was so nervous and scared. And she opened the door and we fell each other's arms and we cried. And it was just one of those moments that you just... You just want to thank God that this, you know... And then she took me in the front room and she handed me my three-month-old granddaughter. Mm. And if I'd have died right there, I'd have been a happy man. But she just said, Dad, I want to go back to school. I want to learn what you do. So we sent her back to school. And of around 13 months around now, she opened my Manchester office as my lead therapist in the UK. Mm. Wow. And we have a great relationship. We go over there two or three times a year. And, uh, yeah, so it was just beautiful. Mm. That is awesome. It is beautiful. And um, yeah, one of it's it's a it's a lovely story that things like that can. I mean, sometimes we don't think so. Right. We lose. Yes. We lose things and we don't think that. Um, yeah. Then we don't think that that can be fixed, if you will, or reconciled. But I think the universe and the God that we believe in. 100 percent. Every single time you'll get it. Back. Other every, ideas. Now, sometimes the husband or the wife doesn't want to go back to that trauma. But every, if you want it back and you do the right thing and you start acting right and living right and believing that you can be anybody or anything, then you're going to get things coming to you. Men and women will start to be attracted to you all the time because they want something you have. So you've got to start thinking. If you want to be a manager of a gas station, start thinking you're already a manager. Go to work as a cashier, but pretend you're the manager. It will soon come to fruition. It's amazing what we can do when we really understand the quantum physics of everything and the way our brain works is the acting of it and believing it's already done is so powerful, you know, and 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 people are attracted to that, you know. Mm -hmm. I've just lost 90 pounds over the last seven or eight months because I decided when I was 60, you know, I used to be a bodybuilder and I put weight on and I got I came over at 210 uh 14 years ago and then I weighed three, 310, 320. Uh so I decided that in the last last six or seven months I dropped back down to 220 or something like that. You can do anything. So right. how did you lose that much weight? You could do anything. Don't don't think for a second you can't. It right. blows my mind when people go, yeah, I can't. What? What do you mean you can't do that? Get another wife. You know, just <laughs> do what you want to do and, and, and go right. out and enjoy life and be the best person you can be. Because, again, I went to bed last night. I was 19. I got upstairs. I'm 61, guys. This is serious stuff. It goes right. by too quick. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is you sat at home. 60 70 80 years old and going you know something if i'd have just oh if i would have done i should have took a chance that's the that's that's been in hell for doing that mm-hmm. so do it do right. something go for that job that you never think you're gonna get go for it you know and you'll right. be surprised where god universe you know uncle jimmy will take you once you right. start believing that's you because again 
We all have million dollar minds and we're all beautiful <laughs> and amazing. And tell people, when you meet somebody attractive, tell them. When you meet someone intelligent, tell them, you know, because we think they already know. Nobody knows. Nobody ever <laughs> Nobody tells me I'm amazing. One person did once. It blew my mind. Right. Like, really? Oh, yeah. You, you already know, don't you? No, nobody knows. You nobody know? knows. And nobody's coming. Like Mel Robbins said this morning yes. on her Instagram, nobody's coming. Nobody's coming to get you out of bed. Nobody's coming to tell you to pick up the phone and call that. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. Like, and nobody cares and nobody knows. But it's, you know, I, I was talking to one of my gals on my team because we have a big conference this week in a couple of days. And it's the first conference she's been to because she joined our team, you know, in the last couple of years. And so what am I supposed to wear? What am I supposed to do? And what should I wear here? I go, listen, my thing is, you know, you're a leader, right? You're a new leader here in this company. It's the first time you've been. For one, because we have the most awesome team in the company right now, the owner and the CEO is going to come to our reception on Thursday night. So you know what? When he comes, I dress up. So that's one. And number two, you need to, just like you said, you need to, I think, I take on the fact that if I want to be seen as a leader, that I'm going to dress like that leader that I want to be. You know, and somebody also told me about goal setting. Like we talk about goals and maybe you train this and all that, but it's like we can sit and make the goals, but like, why don't we think about what it's going to feel like and look like when we've reached that goal and we're going to act like that person. And if you're somebody that's whatever, a successful business owner or somebody that's earned the trip to Cabo or the whatever, how is that person acting? Right. And that's who you act like. And then. You know, again, these are simple terms for my simple mind, but you know, that's how it is. You act like that because then you're going to act like that person that gets the goals or gets the accomplishment or do whatever makes the accomplishment. And then it happens. You know, you're going to dress like the leader that you want to be. The mirroring part of the brain. Yeah. It's the mirroring part of the brain. We all do it. You know, if you hang around with nine depressed people, you will become the 10th. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. That's the way it is. So that mirroring part of the brain, when you dress like the guy you want to be or girl you want to be, then the mirroring part of the brain goes, yes, I like this. I like this. I identify with that guy. I want to be that guy. When you hang around with a best friend, for instance, and they have a say, you just met them, and they have a stupid saying like, shut up, or something like that. <laughs> After about a week or two weeks, you're going to start doing that and saying that. That's how the brain works. It's the mirroring part. So pick somebody you want to be like. And surround yourself. If you're on forty thousand dollars a year, but you want to earn sixty, hang around the guys that earn sixty grand a year, right? Because, like, like you just said, nobody's knocking on my door and go, "Here's a check for sixty thousand dollars." Are you okay with? <laughs> nobody's doing that. Nobody's coming. Right. Nobody cares. No, you know, I, I used to always worry when I went out. Was my hair okay? Is my clothes? Do I wear the right? Nobody cares. Unless you're in business, no, nobody. Cares. They've all got their own stuff going on, and I always thought I was the center of attraction. Nobody cares. Is what I got told, and I'm like, you know something? Wow, I, I just took a load of stuff off my shoulders. Nobody's looking at you. I used to walk into the room, Maury, and I used to look around with my head and shoulders down and go, I wonder if anybody likes me in here. What? Today I walk in, I go, who the hell do I like in here? With my head up <laughs> high and my shoulders out. You know, my grandfather, who I never met, but told my mom to give me a message, and this was the message. Work so hard that you never have to introduce yourself. And I think I'm there. Mm. I like that. Mm. I do like that. I like that. Because, well, it's just sidelight. Well, because some I do, 
I mean, I got lots of friends on Facebook. I've been in the same community for years. And oftentimes I walk into a place and somebody says, wow, you know, meet me or whatever. And they're like, I think I know you. I'm like, I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know. But but (laughs) I'll say, well, let's connect on Facebook. And then we have 54 mutual friends. So, you know, somehow they've seen me or whatever. And then I do some ballroom dance lessons. And so they're like, oh, I think I've seen you dance on Facebook. I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe or whatever. But (laughs) I get what you you mean. And, um, you know, I just kept one. I looked at the clock. And so um, I feel like we uh, could have a a nice, long, continual conversation. But I'm going to going to tie this all together in a bow or ask you to do that and just say, you know, what would you, well, for one, where can people find you besides, you know, what they've heard already from you? Where can they find you if they want to connect with you? What are your final words for those that are listening as we kind of wrap up this great hour of conversation? So you can find me just any search engine, Dr. Rob Kelly. I spell my name with two Bs. So website is robbkelly.com. Jump on there and listen. Here's the deal. If you're sat at home and you're thinking, this is it, there's no future, I hate myself, I can't do this anymore, here's my cell phone number, 214-600-0210. You text me and we will arrange a 10-minute pep talk that will change your life. And people get freaked out when I answer the phone. That's my personal cell phone number. I would rather spend 10 minutes with you than hear of your funeral. We're all in this together. My feet are always on the ground. My feet will never leave. My, You know, I dream big, but my feet are back in the trenches when I had nothing, when I was homeless, when I lost my kids. My youngest daughter still has never contacted me because as far as she's concerned, she never had a dad. I want to be there for those people. Don't think for a second you can't text. We'll sort something out. You can And just remember, guys, when you meet somebody every day, you never know what they're going through. I mean, somebody could just be ready to go home and commit suicide. And what happens is you say, hey, what's doing? Nice sneakers, whatever. There was a famous guy that was walked to the bridge and said he was going to jump off the bridge. And he wrote a letter and left it home. And sure enough, he walked to the bridge and he jumped off the famous bridge over in California and and died. And when they got around to his house of, of opening and everything, they found a letter on the kitchen table and it said if one person says hi to me or comments i'm going to turn back and come home and the mile was two or three miles walk to the bridge it's like you never know what somebody's going through so why not make the day with the things we've just talked about and remember one last thing is empowered people empower people let me just tell you this based on that so we were in montana last week and uh and I just want to say, listen to what he said. Listen to what you said, because you never know what somebody's going through. We were in Montana last week. We were at this bar for various reasons. My friend knew the owner, opened, knew, whatever. So we went and we met there. Met the bartender, my husband, my, you know, my girlfriend and I were, you know, hanging out. So Tom's sitting at the bar talking to this guy. Nice guy, ex-military. So we had, you know, talked to him about our son in the military, packing a weapon, so which you can in Montana. So I talked about that. We're there for a couple hours. He took his life a couple of days ago. Like you don't know what people are going through. So it's so true. And I have to tell you, you've changed my life. You have. You've given me the pep talk. I appreciate this. I really hope that my listeners, oh, wow. I mean, come on. I do. As I said before we started recording, wow. like I'm, I started this podcast. I mean, this is me. I started this podcast a couple of years ago because I wanted to 
share my life, share what I've been going through, share other people's stories of hope, because sometimes we feel like we're all alone in this struggle of life, right? And I'm blessed with a wonderful business that pays for my wonderful editor who does this and great friends connected with people, figure out how to do it. And I just do it. I connect with people who connect with me and say, let's share a story. Let's go on and do this. And I hear from others and I, you know, regardless, I hear from people that say, wow, that was really great. But you know what? It's changed my life too. It's, it's been what I've needed for the last couple of years through all of this stuff that we've gone through, either with my daughter, life, pandemic, whatever. So I'm so grateful for just these connections. And I don't question them. I don't. I just say, okay, I'm sorry we didn't connect when we were in the mountains. You know, I felt bad about that. Like, oh my gosh, this is, I didn't even know. You know, I picked up, I opened my phone. And I was like, wow, I have an appointment. Who is this? I checked you out, you know, couldn't connect. Now we're connecting. But I just want to say thank you for this because you have, you've changed my life um, for what you've shared. Wow. And I, um, wow. and I don't say that lightly. And um, I appreciate wow. your free. That's made my day. Yeah. Well, you made my day. And the fact that you give your phone number, I mean, Bob Goff does the same thing. You probably know Bob Goff. You know, it's on the back of back cover of every one of his books. You can, he says, call me. My girlfriend called him and said, hey, we're doing a book study with your book. We love it. You know, I called him one time and he says, hey, I'm off doing something. So I'm sorry you can't reach me, but call me back later. You know, again, it, it doesn't matter who you are, big, small, whatever. We can all help each other, right? If we just, yeah. share, you know, if we just say hello, right? We just say hello, yes. say, wow, your dress is pretty cool, you know, or your sneakers are really awesome. So, yes. um, so thank you. This is, uh, this is by far one of the best conversations I've had here. And I'm, uh, again, blessed to have it recorded, um, to share it out with the world. So thank you, Rob, really, truly. Thank you for being with me today. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. We're going to become BFFs, Mario. You just watch. <laughs> I'm going to stalk you. I mean, uh, look at you on Facebook and we can be friends. That's right. Yes, we can be friends. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Um, again, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know, as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk, and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.